0: Pray with me. Oh, Lord, you are beautiful. If we could just see you and understand who you are, surely then we would give our lives to you wholeheartedly. Father, we're so grateful that you've given us your word that opens our minds and our hearts, It tells us about your beauty and your grace. There's so much we could see in the world around us about what's true of you, but so much more that we find in your word. And this morning we ask that you would open it to us, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that we would be captivated by this beauty that we've sung about, that our lives would be transformed by this grace that has taken a hold of us, that we would be changed people into the image of of Jesus Christ, your son. This morning, empower me as your messenger that your word would go forward, that it would go with power in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 1. Psalm Psalm 1. Let me read it for us as you turn there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Maybe some of you have experienced what I did just recently, standing in uh, the toothpaste aisle virtually overwhelmed with the choices that were right in front of me of all the different ones. that uh, about to shut you down. Do I do the whitening or the tartar control or the fresh flavor burst crystal things? I don't know. Is there really that much difference between all of these different ones, the whole aisle filled with toothpaste? Aren't they all the same, essentially? Isn't it just toothpaste? And yet, there I stood seemed like hours trying to figure out which one to choose, comparing the different features of this one over that one, uh, the packaging, you know, the price, you know, the, how many ounces you get, uh, what the cost was for that, uh, what it offered to me. And finally, I made a decision, I made a decision, went up and I bought my toothpaste and I went home, certain that I had made the right choice. And somehow, some way, I thought that my life would be better for choosing crest whitening over tartar control. And I wonder, we make choices every day. There's choices that's placed right in front of us. Some are important and some are not important. But maybe we think they are. Every day, these decisions are placed in front of us. Consider another scenario that Jesus gave us regarding choices and decisions in front of you are two different roads one road is a, a nice wide paved road another one is fairly narrow the one that you notice is paved and wide lots of people are going down that road and you look at it and they look like nice people I'd love to go down that road it's appealing you notice that the road is going downhill And you go I like that I don't mind going downhill the direction that it goes is appealing and interesting to you And yet the other road that's narrow, you notice it's less, it is not paved, it's rocky. In fact, it's going uphill, uh, much more difficult. Fewer people are going on that particular road that's placed before you. And you go, huh, I wonder about these two roads. And you look and there's a sign on each one. To this paved road that's going downhill that lots of people are going down, there is a a sign that says destruction. The other one, it says blessing. Blessing. And you go, that doesn't seem quite right. This road that seems to be more appealing and interesting and and safe and all those kinds of things says destruction. And this other one that's going uphill, it's rocky, says it's leading me to blessing. I don't understand that. And yet, there's only two that Christ places, as you would read through the Sermon on the Mount. There's only two roads. One or the other. There's no third choice that he offers before us. That's the, really the picture that Psalm 1 places before us this morning. The road to life, the road to blessing, and the road to destruction. In the passage that I read in the call to worship this morning, Moses set before the people of Israel, you might remember, to choose life or destruction. And he called them at the end, To choose life. Jesus set before him the same thing. These two decisions. The narrow road and the wide road. The narrow road leads to life and the wide road leads to destruction. And there's only two choices. And here we have the same, this picture that's placed before us. By way of overview of the Psalms, very quickly, uh, Psalm 1 really sets the tone and direction for the rest of the 149 Psalms that we have. Psalms are merely just poetic songs that were to be sung and meditated on and thought about, of praise and lament, of wisdom and judgment, of thanksgiving and remembrance of who God was. It was for the people of Israel, for them to to think about and to sing and to meditate upon on, on the road of life. As they followed him, no matter where he might lead them, that's what these were about. It was to lead them to follow the right road. To follow, Christ, to follow God in the road to blessing. And this one sets this up for us. By way of overview of, the, of this particular psalm, Psalm 1, you'll notice that these two themes are, are really bracket this psalm. Opens up with blessing. The very first word in the Hebrew, the very first word for us is blessed is the man. The very last word is perish. And we see there it sets the parameters, right, of this. Blessing comes to some to the man, we're going to learn about that man who is blessed, and we're going to find out about the one who perishes, the one who's on the road to destruction. Even more interesting, um, I found in the study that the first letter of this is uh, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the last letter in this psalm is the last letter, and we see that they're opposite ends of the spectrum. It says that blessing and life and destruction and perishing are opposite ends of the spectrum here. They have nothing to do with each other. They're opposite from each other. We see here the the first verse, we have this blessed man and a description about what's true of him. And it says, first of all, what's not true of him. What doesn't describe this man? And it says that he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. That what's not true of him is that he does not take his words or his advice or his sense of behavior or his values or his attitudes from the world that what describes him is that he doesn't follow the world. This isn't about association with people who don't know Christ. This isn't saying we don't spend time, we don't have time with those who don't know Christ. This is about our association with their ideas and the attitudes of the world. This man who is blessed and who has life does not stand in these ways, does not follow these attitudes, does not carry the ideas of the world. But instead, in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates day and night. He takes his cues from God. What best demonstrates or illustrates this man or describes this man is that he listens to God more than he listens to anyone else. And so what doesn't describe him, he doesn't listen to the world. What does describe him, he listens to God. He delights in what God has to say. In verse 3, we have a picture of the life that's painted, this blessed man who does follow after God's law. And it's this, this great picture, this tree, um, that 's planted by streams of water, it yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers and so he tells us about this man, then he gives us a picture of the man that follows after God, and then in verse four, we have this stark contrast between the tree and this chaff I'm going to talk about that a little bit later and then verse five, we have this picture that the that shows us that the uh, the wicked those who don't follow Christ because it 's so They're so different in who they listen to and their ideas. There's no place for them to stand in the presence of the righteous before God. And then in the final verse of this psalm, we have the final permanent contrast that the blessed, the ones who are righteous, are known by God. And those who are not known by God, by Yahweh, those will perish. We see destruction. Really the simplest way, if you could boil the entire psalm down into to one phrase, it would be this phrase. The blessed man is the one who delights in the Lord. The one who has life is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. It's, just a, it's merely a descriptive statement. We have no commands here to delight. He just says that the one who has light, life will delight in what God has to say. Who is the one that is blessed? The one who delights in God. And we have an essential, inseparable connection there between the one who will find life and the one who delights in the law of the Lord, who delights in what God has to say, who experiences joy in the words from God. Now, now that's great. You might say that's, that's a wonderful thing. It's a great picture. And yet, as I spend time here and I look at this, the, the challenge and the penetrating question is how much do we really delight in the Lord, in the law of the Lord? How much do I really enjoy like this? It says he meditates on a day and night, that it's the thing that fills my mind and my heart day in and day out throughout the days, that I think about what God has to think about these things versus other things. To what degree do I delight in his law? To what degree do I listen to others as opposed to God? You know, I suspect if you're like me, um, and I know I am, uh, that, what, that I find I, I delight in a good many of the things beyond God's law. And I find that the choices I make reveal the things that I truly delight in, that I really run after other things. And yet, just like last week, as Chad, if you were here, he talked about the Beatitudes and the blessed man as he walked through, the poor in spirit and the meek and, and all those different ones— The point isn't to, as as he said last week, it isn't to produce the greatest amount of guilt with the least amount of words. The same is true here. It isn't just to produce guilt to find, to read this and go, well, I don't delight, then what does that say about me? It's rather to turn the tables on us and it's to inspire us, it's to inform us of what's really true. Even as it reveals our need, even as it reveals that there's a deficiency in my heart of delighting in the right things, it really paints a picture of and cultivates a heart for delight in three different ways in one way it informs us of the word of God of the law of the Lord and it, it, ge- it paints a picture for that that will cultivate this delight at the same time it gives us a picture of the life that is offered to those who will delight in the law of the Lord it paints a picture for it says, this is what is, this life is like if you delight this is what your life will be and it gives us that picture. And at the same time as it shows us what the law of the Lord is and it paints a picture of the life, it also, even as we see how far short we fall in our deficiency to delight, we see that there's provision that we'll find. Let's first look at the this law of the Lord and get a clear sense of what it is. The cause of delight and the source of the blessing here is found in God's law. The cause of the delight and the source of the blessing is from God's law, is what we find. So as we understand it, we will delight more. We will cultivate that delight in our hearts. The law of the Lord, I think that idea, we, we, it, the word itself, law, is kind of narrow in our minds sometimes. And we think it's just about the prohibitions. We think it's just about the thou shalt not. And it certainly is a, very much a part of God's law. But it, but it goes much farther than just the prohibitions. It goes beyond just the don't go over 65 miles an hour. Just, you know, don't, it's beyond that. It goes, the word itself comes from this a derivative term that really means to go or to walk straight. And so go, God's law is about helping and enhance, helping us to walk straight, to identify when we're not walking straight, and to move us back onto the path when we're not walking straight. So it's, it's about instruction, it's about teaching. It's about, certainly it has the thou shalt nots, but it also helps us to find actually the way that's life. What is the straight road? It's, it's similar to a picture that I had. When my, my daughter played basketball this last year, and she had a, a referee, and one particular referee in the games would, would actually, he, he called penalties, and he would call those kinds of things. But at different points in the game, he would stop the game And he would do instruction with the girls, these fourth grade girls. And he would explain to them why they shouldn't do this or why they should do that. He would actually do some training kind of on the floor for them. And God's law is kind of the same kind of thing. It's not just about calling fouls. It's not just about calling us when when we're wrong or off the path. It's actually to help us on the path. It helps us to stay on the path. And so God's law isn't just about prohibitions. It's about helping us actually find life. It's about helping us follow after him. The passage here... We see that God's law is, is contrasted to the, the ideas of the world. It says that this man does not follow in the ways. He does not stand, walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law. And We see that, that the, the thoughts and ideas of the world are opposite or antithetical to, to God's law. What God says Oftentimes is opposite to what we hear from the world. Certainly, remember last week as Chad talked about the Beatitudes: blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. How counterculture can they be? How can you look at those and go, how can blessing be found in those things? God tells us, says, love others even when it doesn't make sense. The world says, you might love others, but don't push too far. Love it when it makes sense or when it seems to benefit you. The Lord says, lay down your life for the good of others. The world says, just do what you want. Why lay your life down when it, when it is convenient for you? The Lord says, give and be generous with what you have. And the world says, keep all you can. You might give a little bit, but don't get carried away. Don't get carried away with this given stuff. And then the, the Lord says that we remind ourselves that we deserve nothing. We deserve nothing except judgment apart from Christ. The world says, I des- if I deserve it, I should have it no matter what the cost is. And so we have this op- opposing ideas from what the world says and what God says. And God's law helps instruct us and helps move us on the way and the path of life. It shows us where we've gone off, at the same time brings us back onto the path. And as we understand it more clearly, it cultivates this delight. If you think about driving the- God's law and what it does, it doesn't just show us the road signs, doesn't just give us the speed limits and the prohibitions, doesn't even just provide the guardrails of our life down the, to keep us on the path. It does all of those things, but it goes even farther. It provides a map for us as we're driving, helps us know the terrain of where we're going, helps us understand, and how to, helps us know how to get to where, to where we're going. At the same time, it sets our destination and our identity. It helps us know who we are and where we're going. Can you imagine driving knowing how to drive and following all the the rules and the laws, and yet not even knowing where you're going, having no destination, apart from what everybody else might tell you your destination is or should be, that's a problem. God's word and his law tell us what our destination is, who we are, where we're going, why we're here, what we are to do with our lives. How is it that we really invest our lives in things of value? Is it in the accumulation of things? Is it in position? Is it any of those things that we're told? God's law says no. God reminds us of that. Oz Guinness quotes a, a, a wealthy businessman in a, at an Oxford conference that he heard. This, this businessman made this statement. He said, to be honest, one of my motives for making so much money was simple. To have money, to hire people to do the things that I, didn't, that I don't like doing. Doesn't sound bad. But there's, but there's one thing I've never been able to hire anyone to do for me. Find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. I'd give anything to discover that. And yet the majority of the world is trying to figure that out. Why am I here? What am I about? And God's law informs us of that. So God's law is instruction. It's teaching. It doesn't just keep me from destruction, but it actually shows me the path to life. And that cultivates a delight as I understand what it is. I understand As I read this book, as I understand what's being said in here, that's going to lead me in that path. God's law inspires me also here with a rich picture of the life that's painted for the one who would, who would delight for, on it, would delight after the word of God. You see, the, first of all, in the, the, the opening word again is blessed. And again, we don't quite know what that means. Again, our idea is generally as physical blessing or financial blessing and that's just the you know the tip of the iceberg there's so much more that's involved in the kind of blessing that's talked about here blessed is this man it's really getting at a a transcendent happiness Uh, a happiness that can't is is not tied to anything else that's circumstantial this transcendent happiness and fulfillment it's to find oneself in the condition in which he was made to be in to be in a right relationship with god That's the life that's being described here. Happiness that's beyond the gravity of time and space. That means is that there's nothing in time and space that can take it from us. There's nothing that's out there circumstantially that can take this happiness, this joy, this life from us. But it's permanent. You see this permanence pictured in in verse 3 in the tree. Uh, He is like a tree. It doesn't say that he will be like a tree. Or is becoming like it. it says he is like a tree the one who delights in God's word is like this tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its so leaf does not wither you see that's planted by streams its source its nourishment is beyond itself it's something that comes from beyond itself and because of that it's permanent it can stand strong because of where its nourishment comes from and you see there's fruitfulness in this life it yields fruit in its season. In the right time, something good will come from our lives. might not be every day, but over the course of time, as we're planted in the right things and nourished in the right ways, there's a permanence and a fruitfulness that will come in our lives. And then you see that it says that its leaf will not wither. Um, I don't think that's a promise that we won't have any difficulties. It's a promise of the absence of difficulties. As much as it's a a promise of God's presence in and through those difficulties, in the passage that was read before the worship, the second set of the worship time in Jeremiah 17, it describes it's another place where this tree is planted, and this tree is the one who trusts in God. And it uses two phrases there that's interesting. One phrase it says that it will not fear when the heat comes, nor will it be anxious in a year of drought. And it's interesting to apply human feelings to a tree, but you see what's going on there. You see that when the heat comes, there's no fear. When the drought comes, we don't have to be anxious. And why is it we don't have to be anxious? Why is it we don't have to fear when difficulties come? It's because our source is not ourselves. Our source is not rooted to our own means financially or our own health or anything that we might be able to do that our means, if you will, are rooted in in Christ. It's rooted in what God and his provision and our trust for him. Its source is not connected to the heat or the drought in that case. Its source is transcendent and beyond those things. This is real life that's being described. Life that's not connected with any of these other things that can go away so quickly. But It's attached to the immovable and the unchangeable. In fact, it's life that's connected with the one who manages and controls the heat and the drought in our lives, as well as the the good times, if you will, the fruitful times. He manages that. And we see that this tree and everything he does, he prospers. It just means that good comes out of everything that happens. Maybe not good by our own definition, but good by his definition. He defines good for us. Some of you might have heard of the uh, um, the study that was just done on scientific study on prayer. Uh, they had it the other night on the news. It was rather intriguing. But they, they did a scientific study over the last however many years on, on prayers for people that you don't know. And, and the study concluded that it doesn't work. They concluded that prayer doesn't work. Um, I'm not sure how they got to their findings. But a couple questions need to be asked about the study. One is, who are you praying to? It was a very broad uh, cross-section. But the second one is, how do you know it didn't work? How do you know when something doesn't work when you pray? Because God's concept of good is so much different from ours. And so, at one level, you can't even investigate that because God's idea and his ways and his idea is good is so much different. And so, I'm not putting a whole lot of trust in that study. Um, it, it was interesting, though, that they would be so bold as to say it didn't work. But, uh, but anyway, back to my point here this life. The life is permanent, it's fruitful. Um, it's contrasted in verse 4 to this chaff of the wicked. They're blown away. The wicked, those who don't know Christ, those who are, are not rooted, are blown away. The very defini- definition of chaff is that which does not last. That which is blown away is chaff. And we see that there's a c- huge contrast there. And, then, and finally in verse 6, this life is described essentially as being known by God. That the blessed life, that the, to be blessed is to be known by God. Why is the tree permanent? Why is there fruitfulness? Because ultimately we're known by God. Because he knows us. And the the idea there is that he has identified himself with us. That he has known us. He has established a covenant relationship with us. He said, I've identified with you. And in that identification is provision. It's care. He'll provide everything we need in that relationship so this life is ultimately found in a relationship with him that can't be moved it's established by him initiated by him being known by him Jesus put it like this the security and permanence said I give them that's my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand so this life is permanent it's secure that's what this blessing is talking about. So why do we want to delight in God's law? Because it brings the life that's permanent, that's, that's secure. But even as we read this, and we come back to this deficiency of delight that we have, we find even more so that, that, we, that it, we, we fall short in enjoying it and delighting in the law of the Lord. What he has to say, even considering this life that's being talked about, We look to so many other things and say, okay, there's life's found there, life's found there. And he says, no, it's not where life is found. It's found in delighting in what I have to say and what God has to say. And even as we see the disparity between what we ought to do and what we don't do, there's provision to fill up the gap between what we ought to do and what we we should do. What's good in terms of delighting in God. The central contrast here, I think, is between verse 1 and verse 2. It's between the scoffer and the delighter. It's between the scoffer and the delighter. The one who scoffs. And if you look at that, the the series of of thoughts, the he who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of the sinners or sits in the seat of the scoffers, there's actually, there's parallel ideas there, but there's progression. And what this means is that the scoffer is really worse off even than the sinner and the sinner worse off, and the the, the, the scoffers is worse off than the, than the sinner. That he's in a worse condition, a worse situation. You might ask, how can that be? It's because his attitude believes in nothing. What is a scoffer anyway? I mean, some of your virgins might say mocker. What is a scoffer? What is a mocker? Well, they probably mock or they scoff. We'd say, okay, that helps a little bit. But really, it's those who take nothing to be true, that hold to nothing to be true, but make fun of everything they scoff at everything they hold everything in contempt they're proud they're haughty they're resistant to reproof they're humorously nihilistic they say there is no meaning and so i will mock everything i will laugh at everything i will take nothing seriously and yet the delighter takes seriously the word of god if you would set those two side by side on a continuum and you would look underneath what what are characteristics of the the one who delights and the one who scoffs i'm going to read a list of of things that describe this life that describe this person the delighter is one who is joyful the scoffer is joyless the delighter is receptive to the things of god the scoffer is resistant the delighter is soft in heart the scoffer is hard the delighter is pliable The scoffer is callous. The delighter is repentant. The scoffer is unrepentant. The delighter is submissive. The scoffer is recalcitrant. It's a great word, isn't it? It just means that they're they're stubbornly disobedient. Just can't respond at all. The delighter is trusting in God. Desires to trust and to hear from God. The one who scoffs is skeptical, he's cynical, and he's suspicious of everything. I don't know about you, but when I look at those two lists again, I find where my heart naturally tends towards on any given day with disappointment and discouragement, pain, things that that don't go quite the way I would hope they would. I tend towards the scoffer, tend towards hardness. I tend towards a calloused heart and unrepentant at times. And yet, deep inside, there's something that's even more true than that. While that's a tendency, and I find the flow of my heart, I find that I don't delight as I should in what God has to say, I don't delight in Him. I find that my heart goes that direction, and yet I want to. And yet as He has worked and lived within me, that's, that's my desire. I think that's our, all of our desire, that my heart would have those kinds of characteristics, that even as I see my need, that I would run to find some sort of solution. In order to delight in the law instead of delighting what the world has to say, in order to choose the path of life instead of the path of destruction, in order to be like the tree rather than the chaff. I need this law. I need more than just something to come and tell me what to do. I need something even more to to depict for me what the life that I will find when I follow this law. I need the law actually to come and to live in me. I need it to come and to transform me so I'll be able to delight And that's indeed what the promise is. The provision is this psalm looks forward to. And Jeremiah, um, I read in the call to worship time, talked about this new covenant that God would make. And he would come and he would place a new heart in us. And that he would take in its law. The law of the Lord would, would reside in us and dwell in us. And it would transform us. And that's the promise. As we delight on the law of the Lord and meditate on it, We can't meditate for too long and not be brought to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. We can't meditate too long and think about the law of the Lord without being brought and understanding that he is the fulfillment and the embodiment of of that, and that he has come to lead us to delight in the law and ultimately to delight in him. What the written word couldn't do, the living word could. As Christ came and now with our vantage point of looking back, we see our deficiency of delight and we look to Christ. We say, I want to delight and I need you to do this work in me. Moses called, the people, <clears throat> Moses called the people of Israel to choose life. Jesus set before them the two choices, the narrow way and the wide road. And here the psalmist calls us to be delighters in the law. And now with the vantage point we have on the other side of Christ, looking back, we find that this law that we're to delight in has actually delighted in us and as he delights in us so will, that will cultivate our desire to know him let me conclude with the verse we're familiar with um, many of us are that describes the contrasting pictures of life and death and this delight that god has had for us john three sixteen: for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, we see placed before us there, not perishing, but the eternal life that Christ has brought to us, the one who is delighted in us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to delight in your law, and yet we find so much within us that keeps us from it. We see the deficiency that we have there, and yet we look to you and say, would you continue to cultivate that? Would you remind us by this picture of who Christ is and how he is delighted in us? Help us to remember that eternal life that you have promised to us. Help us to listen to you. Would you cause and cultivate that delight in your word, in you, in Christ, this day? That our lives would be transformed, that we would follow wholeheartedly after you, that we would choose life because you have chosen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to rise for the benediction. The response to the benediction is, I will delight in your word. And and when we say that, what we're really saying is, I will delight in Christ. Christ even as he is delighted in me. So receive this as God's benediction. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all all ages, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, I will delight in your word. Amen.